Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with chiropractic doctor Michael Hartle, who is also a clinical nutritionist, a certified chiropractic sports physician, active release technique provider, and a certified strength and conditioning coach. Welcome to the show, Michael. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Appreciate the invitation. I I would like to give our listeners just a little bit of an introduction as to how you got into the field, what brought you to, of course, becoming a chiropractic uh, physician, but also um, what got you into the strength and conditioning area. Mm-hmm. If you would like to give us a little bit of a background story, that would be amazing. Well, when I was uh, 15, uh, my high school, they invited a uh, bodybuilder powerlifter to come give a demonstration of some exercises that are at our weight room we had at the school. And I was just like, my eyes were just like wide open because I was just like, wow, this was amazing. Um, so then I started going to a gym to start training. And then uh, when I graduated from high school, I joined another gym where I started actually competing in powerlifting. And then I started getting involved in nutrition aspect because then a lot of the bodybuilders and powerlifters use nutrition and all that stuff to help enhance their, their gains and everything. So I started looking into that. Um, when I was 18, I did hurt my back pretty bad. So I went to a chiropractic physician and he treated me, he fixed me, uh, a year after I saw him, I competed my first powerlifting competition. So that aspect there. So then when I got, when I went, went to school to become an engineer, I decided to switch gears and become a doctor. And I thought about either becoming a medical doctor or a chiropractic doctor. And then I decided to do the chiropractic thing, uh, in Minnesota so I did that. And so when I graduated in 93, um, I was a chiropractic physician. And then I worked to get my diplomate in clinical nutrition uh, because I use nutrition a lot with my patients to help uh, not only enhance their ability to live life to the fullest, but also to enhance, to help heal from their condition and everything. Amazing. I love it. I mean, I obviously am fully in, um, in concordance when it comes to nutrition helping um, either uh, cure injuries or prevent certain things or simply helping anti-inflammation and, and aiding in performance. Um, so uh, what sort of clientele do you usually work with as a kind of general population? Do you have a lot of performance athletes as well, or just people who who like to train a lot? Um, all the above. I have patients who are, you know, I have one of my oldest patients, she's almost 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, she still drives to the clinic by herself and lives That's in her amazing. own place. Uh, I have kids who are young kids, a one woman who brought her kid the other day in because uh, she went and saw a medical doctor for ear infections and he wanted to put tubes in. She didn't want to do that. So she wanted to come see me for some more natural stuff. So we started adjusting him and started giving him some nutrition to help as far as enhance his ability to fight off the ear infections. Um, so we have all different. And I also have a lot of performance athletes. Got a bunch of we have a couple of colleges in town uh, right now. This is track season. So we see a lot of track athletes, softball um, people like that. So again, we have kind of a smattering of everyone in the office. Super cool. And if you don't mind, would you be able to just explain very briefly for someone who literally has no idea of what the difference perhaps is between a chiropractic doctor, uh, um, physiotherapist, uh, and a th- physiotherapist or, or a sports, um, uh, sports surgeon, for example, 
Well, and a surgeon, obviously his main job or their main job is to actually do surgical aspect to repair, let's say someone tears their Achilles tendon to repair it. Okay. Um, after that, they can go, the person can go see, say, a physical therapist to go through rehab, to get through, to get their strength back up, or see possibly a chiropractic doctor to actually not only do the physical rehab, but then also to get, do the adjustment. Sometimes, obviously, once the healing happens in the ankle, the ankle's going to be very stiff. The joints are not going to move in right. You got 26 bones down there, so we need to get those moving. So, again, you can see anyone there. Um, chiropractic doctor, one thing we, we are taught is to be to diagnose uh, I use uh, x-rays quite a bit in my office, not necessarily with every patient, but most patients uh, to help see as far as what their bone structure is. Uh, also, I do a physical and neurological exam on the patients to see what, you know, what they're, you know, compare right to left, front to back and everything with that. Um, so we, a lot of differences there. So a surgeon's job is to take care of the offending aspect. Mm -hmm. After that, I always tell patients it's their job then to get themselves better. And that means with seeing either a chiropractic doctor, a physical therapist, or we say physical therapist in the States, outside the States is physiotherapist, um, like in Canada or Europe, that kind of stuff. Um, but again, yeah, you need to get, you do, do your due diligence to get better. Awesome. I like that there's um, an onus on the um, patient, so to speak, or on the person themselves also, they can't just expect suddenly the the physio to do a bit of um, passive mobility on them and suddenly everything is going to heal. That's right. <laughs> um, so what are some of the most common injuries you tend to see, especially with people that are somewhat active? So uh, to give you a background, most of our listeners, they strength train probably at least two three times per week um have most likely been strength training for a few years a good mixture between hypertrophy and strength and, and strength emphasis um so yeah what what sort of injuries do you tend to see in that kind of clientele well i had a new kid the other day who's uh 18 years old a track athlete at a local college he actually has a uh, right lower leg injury in the medial aspect of his uh, lower leg there. And his tibialis posterior um, is definitely inflamed, but it's because um, his pelvis and lower back are definitely crooked. So when I took standing x-rays, his pelvis was dropped and rotated just standing still. Um, so every time his foot hits the ground, different forces are going up left leg versus the right leg. Um, so we need to equate that. Because I told him, I said, uh, when you're running, your brain goes, you know, right, left, but then it's going, this is different, this is different, this is different, this is different. And so even though his brain is moving him forward, his neurological system is, is kind of like running with the emergency brake on. Mm -hmm. And the emergency brake is designed to prevent your car, say, from rolling downhill or whatever else with your car. But again, it's not designed to drive with the emergency brake on. And so he's doing that. So he's He's building fitness on top of dysfunction, quoting uh, Greg Cook, who's a, a famous physical therapist here in the States. You know, we need to build fitness on top of function, get rid of that DYS and move it off the off to the side. Because when you build fitness on top of function, you can build all the fitness you want. But if you build fitness on top of dysfunction, now you're going to have problems. I like it. So would you say that lower back injuries are some of the most common things that you deal with? Uh, lower back, we deal with uh, neck, we deal with uh, very, very tight middle back areas, people who sit at computers for long periods of the day. Uh, we deal with shoulder issues, um, ankle, 
Uh, I got a couple of wrists in the office now that I'm dealing with wrist issues. So we got, you know, I'd say probably low back and neck are probably the two most common and neck, me including mm-hmm. like headaches and, and all that, you know, pain going down their shoulders, down their arms and hands. But uh, I would say we, you know, I, I always tell people you have 206 bones in the body. I can treat every bone. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Um, would you say that the neck um, injuries have increased in recent years with the use of social or phones etc yes there's 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 kind of a a a, an unwritten syndrome called text syndrome where Mm -hmm. people's necks are actually when i even do when i take a standing x-ray from the side of their neck their neck is going forward necks in front of their body instead of being on top of their body and when you do that uh, a lot of times it has to do with as far as you know phones ipads computers all this other stuff things that are in front of us our heads are always down uh looking at it uh, mm-hmm. And you don't want to do that because it can actually start changing your physical structure. So when I take an x-ray of someone, they're just standing there and that's what their neck looks like. And so I talked to them about when you're using, yes, exactly. Uh, chicken necking, we like to call that. Uh, when I, I teach, work for an organization uh, called Strong First, we teach kettlebell, barbell, and bodyweight exercises. And so we call that chicken necking. Um, but here's what's interesting. So I find, and this is, there's really no research about this, but what I found, I've been doing this for 29 years that when someone has an increased lumbar curve in their lower back, we call it hyperlordosis, um, generally you will also find a concomitant decrease in the curve or a reverse cervical curve in the neck with the head going forward. Interesting. So when I was in engineering, we had physics. And physics, so basically the human body um, has to apply, has to have the work, you know, gravity applied to it just as much as a chair, a car, you know, throwing a baseball, all that stuff. So when you're doing that, you know, so I told people that if you want me to fix your neck, I need to fix your lower back. You want me to fix your lower back, I need to fix your neck. And so we, we work on a whole body aspect with that. I love that because truly, I mean, so many things are interconnected and oftentimes we think, oh, my shoulder hurts. And you just think like, oh, just massage my shoulder. But in truth, it might be <clears throat> as as much as your right ankle that's, I don't know, out of line. <laughs> exactly. Of very, very much so. It's hurting. Um, so I, I wonder if, especially for those particular areas, uh, the, the, the neck and the lower back, if you have any favorite exercises or approaches in in general to help combat that because of course you can only tell people um you know limit your social media time so much or perhaps you might want to bring your laptop up higher so that you don't constantly look down yes okay they might listen to that but nonetheless um you know over time they're probably still gonna tilt their neck forward a little bit right there was a gentleman um, named uh, Vladimir Yanda, who was from the Czech Republic, and he actually created uh, or put together something called the lower and upper cross syndromes. Mm-hmm. And if you know what syndrome means, syndrome is a collection of symptoms put together. So it's not necessarily like uh, diabetes is a specific disease, uh, where syndrome means a collection of symptoms. So in his case, so he drew it. So if you take someone, look at them from the side, and let's say you draw an X and you put the center of the X over the hip joint. You have a line going from the abs down to the glutes, and then you have a line going from the lower back down to the hip flexors. Generally, the line from the lower back to the hip flexors is we call the tight line, and the line from the abs to the glutes is the weak line. Mm -hmm. And so when you have the asymmetry between those two lines, you're going to have issues in your lower back. It's going to cause you to jam up the joints in your lower back. It's going to cause you to have weak abdominals, weak glutes. 
uh, too tight hip flexors, too tight as far as lower back erectors. So basically the best exercise, not best, but one of the best exercises um, is a dead bug exercise. Oh, if nice. you perform the dead bug exercise properly, um, you can actually see some changes in your lower back pain because what it does is stimulates your abdominals and it also helps for stimulate as far as your core aspect there with that too. Um, second exercise would be doing like a floor bridge or a hip mm -hmm. bridge, people call it. Uh, unfortunately, most people do the hip bridge wrong. You need to, in my, my opinion, I've done this with many patients over the last 29 years that you need to flatten your back, tighten your abs before you lift your hips up. Because when you flatten your back and tighten your abs, you take your lower back and you tell it to go take a nap. Get out of here. I don't need you right now. And you mm -hmm. actually use your glutes. So you strengthen your glutes. So you got abs and glutes with that. Generally, most people will see some type of uh, results with that. That's a really uh, good tip. I like that. I have heard from um, a few clients before, initially when they start off doing <clears throat> hip bridges or glute bridges, um, uh, it only hurts my lower back more. And, and that would probably be particularly for that reason that they're not doing what you just said. <laughs> right. Well, one of the things, one of the things we do in our, I have my own physical therapy department in my clinic. When we do, we do a, a, an assessment on every person that comes back there and the assessment is designed to see where they're weak and where they're strong and to give them the corrective exercises that they need for their bodies. Um, and most people who have like what you just said, where they do the hip bridge and they hurt their lower back. When they lay in their tummy, I have them do a prone hip extension. And but I'm mm -hmm. not just watching as far as from their heel to their buttock. I'm also watching from their buttock up to their head. And a lot of times people actually activate the lower back erectors much stronger than they do their glutes and they activate the hamstrings. So glutes are kind of like in a distant, like third place, whereas you have your lower back and hamstrings working triple overtime. And so and when they, they say they do hip bridge and their lower back hurts, I say, well. Flatten your back, tighten your ass before you come off the ground, maintain it all the way up, squeeze the glutes at the top, and then bring it back down. And you need to do it in a slow fashion. Some people do it like, you know, like one second. I tell people do a tempo like uh, five seconds. So you do two seconds up, one second, squeeze hard at the top, two seconds lower, and then you should not feel it in your lower back. If you feel it in your lower back, you need to reset, reflatten the back, tighten the abs, and then do it again. Interesting. Would those also be the same kind of people that often complain of lower back pain from squatting heavy, perhaps, or something like that? Perhaps. Yeah, there's there's, there's that's there's different reasons for that. So in our assessment, we, we actually kind of, you know, see the roots of the evil, so to speak, kind of with that. So again, um, you can even have, uh, you know, right side stronger than left side. And that can also be causing some, some uh, lower back pain when you're squatting. But maybe they have as far as good core strength and with that so again it could be different things with that but yes that could be one of the reasons mm -hmm. and then do you have any exercises and particularly more for 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 the upper back um or the neck i guess so professor yonda he actually said the upper cross syndrome so if you draw an x and you basically put it let's say at the uh bottom of your neck the x okay the muscles in the front of the neck and the muscles between the shoulder blades are generally the weaker ones the ones that are too tight are the erectors and as far as you're like, you're uh, pulling your head forward, your SCMs and things like that. Um, so when you do that, you need to for do two things. You need to obviously back to the lower cross syndrome. You need to do the stretching of the hip flexors in the lower back, in addition to the tightening of the abs and glutes. And the same thing in the neck, you need to work your deep cervical neck flexors, which you can do that by laying on the ground, doing chin tucks. Mm. Um, you can also, as far as do, as far as work, working your upper back, uh, get your rhomboids, get your serratus anterior, 
uh, you know, get those, the latissimus dorsi is also stronger too. Sometimes that can be too tight, but you got to do assessment to figure that out. Um, and then also do your neck stretches. Mm -hmm. So you need to, to have a, a kind of a, I like to call it a yin yang, the Chinese yin yang thing where you have an equal circle, but you have black and white in this case, you need to do both your flexibility and mobility. And you also need to do your strengthening aspect as well. That's such a good point. Yeah. Most of, of the listeners here will probably, um, usually default to wanting to lift too heavy and not wanting to bother with all these small little exercises that don't look quote unquote right. cool like the the neck tucks or whatever but i think the great thing about those is that you can probably actually also do those just at the office you know maybe three times a day for five or ten minutes or whatever doing a little bit of a of a neck tuck in the opposite direction or even some exercises with bands I quite like sometimes um for for that reason or something like face pulls that's um one of my my favorites also um but yeah amongst particularly amongst strength athletes what are the most common training injuries that you perhaps see there either from overtraining or from lifting too heavy or anything like that well again you alluded to a lower back pain I say low back pain is probably one of the most common ones um most people Most people get involved with, with strength training and they already have some type of issue going on, but it, it may be what I like to use the term kind of sub threshold. Like you have a certain threshold where pain is going to now be there. So they may mm -hmm. be operating that sub threshold level. And also when they push, they, you know, say do a heavier squat one day and also they have low back pain. Well, the squat must've caused my low back pain. Well, it was maybe a contributing factor, but it wasn't necessarily the cause. The causes are always been there or been there for a period of time. You need to get that addressed. Um, but low back pain is probably one of the biggest ones there. Um, secondly, I'd say rotator cuff shoulder issues mm -hmm. because you, you talked about as far as like the, you know, uh, the head going forward, the less end of the curve there. Generally what also happens is the front of the, so if you look at the front of the body, you know, from your neck down to your pecs and your shoulders, that tends to get rounded forward. We call it protracted. And if someone starts to do bench pressing, say on top of that, or say military press, It'll start lighting up the rotator cuff because their shoulders in a bad position. So then they lift with that bad position and they start straining their rotator cuff. Mm -hmm. So generally you, you encourage people like that to balance out the training program, perhaps a little bit better in the sense of doing more pulling movements, maybe even more, more pulling movements than pushing movements. Um, when someone does have a pr protracted upper um, body, more or less, would that be a, a good approach? Right. So when I used to compete in powerlifting, uh, my best bench press was uh, 242.5 kilos or 535. And so that's a lot of force going this direction. But I also had to train the back of my body as well, too, because if I didn't, I would start to have that rounded forward. A lot of times you see uh, real heavy bench pressers, they have that kind of like neck going forward or necks like this, and, and they have their rounded shoulders. So you want to be able to enjoy life, especially as we get older. And mm -hmm. last thing you want to do is have, you know, rotator cuff surgery or any, you know, surgeries like that. Um, so you want to work the upper body back part as much as you do the front part. Awesome. I, I like it. I sometimes even if people already come or start with a really um, dominant, I guess, forward sort of um, position, um, I, I often even like programming a little bit more in the sense of, pulling movements rather than 
pushing movement so that it's not quite 50 50 but actually more tilted towards the mm -hmm. the pole but of course as you say an individual assessment is is always best um now when it comes to those injuries i realize that it's not as simple as giving like one straight answer but do you usually recommend training through injuries or not of course we have a lot of people that are like oh i'm going to lose all my gains or i'm going to gain weight if i stop training completely and i personally also don't like resting completely because i feel like it makes me even stiffer and i you know so it's it's often hard to assess should i train through this or not what's your general recommendation there well when you go back let's say 50 60 years ago someone who had low back pain the common uh comment from most doctors was go home lay in bed rest it out okay now they're saying the completely opposite they're saying no um, I like to use a phrase, use it or lose it, which means if you, you use it, you'll keep it. If you lose it, then you're going to have some problems. So in that regard, I recommend you try to train through injuries, but with a big butt underlined, okay? You need to decrease your volume, decrease your sets and reps, and decrease your intensity. So even if it's just to the point where, okay, um, for example, let's say the track athlete that's coming into my office right now, um, I told him there may be a chance in a couple of weeks where I may have to say, all right, stop running. I want mm -hmm. you to, but you can walk as hard as you want. You can bike, you can go swimming. So you can get some type of movement with the human body, but I want you to stop running because the running is actually exacerbating your injury. So, so far we haven't had to say that. And I told him it may be a possibility. I had one runner who came in with Achilles tendonitis many years ago and he wanted me, he was, I was like the third or fourth doctor he had seen for his injury. And so we started treating him for it. And I said, we goes, why are you treating my lower back? Why are you treating my neck? I said, because your whole body is messed up and mm -hmm. your Achilles tendonitis is a symptom. And so he goes, okay. So I, six weeks later, he was much better, ran a marathon, set a new personal best in the marathon. Wow. Because he took the load off of his Achilles tendonitis, made his legs symmetrical when he ran and therefore able to do that. Um, so again, I recommend you train, you try to train while you're through an injury, but with the aspect that if it's making it worse, you need to either do something different. Let's say, okay, now I'm going to just go walking. I'm not going to lift weights or anything, but I get some exercise through my body to be able to do it. And it's a temporary thing. I always tell patients we'll be back to the exercise, but once we, you know, building fitness on top of dysfunction is a slippery slope. So when you do fitness on top of function, you can do all you want. So right now let's get rid of that dysfunction, keep a little bit of fitness going on, just a little bit and the less than you had before. And then when it's turned to function, now we can do all the fitness you want. That's awesome. I think a really good logical and practical takeaway as well. So for example, with something like the squat, if someone does say, I always have low back pain after heavy squatting or whatever, would you perhaps switch to something like a Bulgarian split squat or a combination of uh, leg press and, and, and something else? And maybe just while, of course, addressing why their lower back always hurts during squatting? Would, would that be an, uh, an approach to take? With, with that, let me ask you a question. With that, would they be seeing someone or just on their own individual person? Probably just on their own. What I would do um, is actually what I would probably back off. And what I would do is we teach it uh, in Strong First, one of the kettlebell movements called goblet squats. Mm -hmm. You don't need necessarily a kettlebell. You can take a, a weight plate and hold it in your hands or whatever else. And I would actually work the goblet squat for a while and, and get your form and technique done with that. Because it, obviously one thing about the goblet squat, it's lighter weight. Yes. So it won't put as much stress on your body. You're still squatting. Um, there's plenty of videos on YouTube about it. You can look it up and everything with that. 
Um, but again, you are working the goblet squat. If you're trying to decrease the low back pain, possibly doing what we call the dead bug. We talked about floor bridge earlier, the hip bridge. Uh, the other exercise you can do as well too. do your stretching. Those are all things that you can do for yourself. And you put in your own personal toolbox that you can just pull out when you need to and, and utilize that. Awesome. Yeah. And so uh, I guess talking more about exercises and as a strength and conditioning coach, um, do you have certain training principles that you uh, like to apply with your athletes when, it, when they um, come to you for strength and conditioning, meaning um, I, I want to get as strong and conditioned as possible. Uh, I have three days per week. What, sh what should I do kind of thing? Um, do you have certain parameters in there that you might follow? Well, first thing I do is so so say you came into my gym and you wanted to learn how to lift. You've never lifted before or whatever. Um, I would first run you through that assessment because I need to know where you're weak and where you're strong. So instead of start stop instead of starting to pile weights on in the squat or the bench or as a military press, we got to find where your weaknesses are. Maybe you have a huge weakness on your left side that we need to address. Meanwhile, we give you those corrective exercises. We then put you start putting you through and teaching you proper technique. Um, in my estimation, and I've done this with my own power lifting with my kids, with you know with other people too. We you have to work on your technique first. Once your technique is sound, then you can build all the weight you want on top of that. But if your technique's not sound and you build weight on top of that, you're going to get injured. I can literally almost guarantee that. Um, so we need to be proper technique. Then after that, we can start as far as choosing what exercises you would like to do, what exercises that I think you should do. We put them together, and then we start doing that from that point forward. Does that answer your question? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. And I very much like, um, again, the emphasis on form have, having to come first. And I do think and know from personal experience that it's so hard to pull back and um, work on form first or even worse and um, correcting, having to correct form is probably worse <laughs> afterwards than if you, you know, just initially took the time. But it's just if you're a numbers person or you like to see the, the plates go up and all of that, and then suddenly your coach might be like, no, 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 not yet. Let's stay at a low weight and really just focusing on you know, doing the execution slow and steady, um, it can be really challenging. And again, especially for people that work out on their own, who perhaps don't have that feel either, they might have a mirror in there, or they might watch a video or even video themselves, which I actually um, encourage, you know, if you're training alone in your basement, etc, every now and then checking your form, and you might think you're going low enough, or you're not low enough. But um, yeah, I, I think that can be really difficult because sometimes we think it's only a good workout if we got that burn or if we got to sweat or we're sore the next day sometimes people think that's a good indication of a workout and it's truly usually not the case anyway so i really like um that encouragement there um now when it comes I to agree. when it comes to the nutrition because you mentioned um even with um i guess general population etc you like to help them uh, I, I guess, emphasize or um, improve all their performance and movement, et cetera, through the aid of nutrition. What are your really basic principles when it comes to that? One of the things I teach, I talk to patients about is that I really want, I, I generally recommend that most patients, most, not all, um, should be on a high quality multivitamin. Mm -hmm. uh, just based on the fact that as far as that our foods are more processed nowadays and more synthetic, uh, they don't have as much nutrition. So you want to kind of hit the basics and just have a good quality multivitamin. I'm not talking Centrum 
or one a day that you find at the local stores and stuff like that, but high quality multivitamin, you're going to pay more for it, but you're going to get more out of it. Um, with that, after that, based, based on as far as what their nutritional needs are. So if I look at an x-ray, for example, and I see a lot of degeneration and bone spurs, I may also give them something we call chondrolyph, which is glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate to help rebuild their cartilage in their body. So as they're getting treated, getting adjusted, doing the exercises and everything else, they're enhancing the structures around it, but we're also going to help build up the cartilage uh, that's in there. And we do that. And I've actually seen changes on x-rays, you know, months down the road where actually someone say C5, C6 disc space actually looks cleaner. It looks a little bit more, more space in there. And it has many facets to that as far as not only better positioning and all that stuff. Um, I like to use um, something called EPA DHA from fish over very specific aspects of that. Um, it helps out tremendously. Um, glycogenics, which is another made by a company called Metagenics. It's a high quality B vitamin, a B complex. I'm not a big fan. And again, not in all cases of giving someone a, a specific B vitamin, like say B6 or, you know, B1. I mean, I like to give a good high quality multi, multi or multi, complex there because when you do that, all of them feed off each other. And Agreed. so generally, if, if you're using a lot of say B1, it can actually throw off something else down the road. Um, so again, I like to use that. Um, we use a lot of, um, uh, zinc with people. We, so I also use quite a few, uh, anti-inflammatory natural, uh, anti-inflammatories in my office as well, too. There's one I've used since the day I graduated from school called Inflamaze. Um, it's made by a company called I think Progressive Labs or Nutrition Dynamics. It is one of the best, uh, anti-inflammatory, um, supplements out there. Um, so it's a combination of various anti-inflammatory yes. yep. proteolytic oh. enzymes that are in there and it works great. Mm -hmm. Plus it also helps as far as digestive issues. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it, it works fantastic. It helps. Like I tell people when you take like ibuprofen or Tylenol, those are generally TOX2 inhibitors, uh, which inhibit data. They block the pain signal to your brain. Whereas yep. this stuff does not block the pain. So actually I call it the kind of rotor rooter of uh, inflammation where it kind of gets rid of the inflammation uh, naturally. Now, of course, with getting rid of inflammation, I'm sure you're well aware of being a nutritionist too, that when you get rid of inflammation, it's overall helpful for the human body. But if they're still doing the same things that help cause the inflammation, yes, it may get rid of some inflammation, but it's not going to help them overall. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So they also need to make some lifestyle changes, change the foods they eat. They need to get more exercise, do all these things to enhance the ability of the supplements to actually do their job. 100%. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And um, yeah, uh, uh, EPA, DHA, one of my favorites, most certainly as well. Um, you probably also, especially with your athletes, might also use a, a magnesium or, or calcium yep. in certain yep. um, cases as well. But yeah, I like that you take a very much individual approach um, as well when it comes to supplementation. As for most people, there really is no sort of one size fits all, even though we like to think, oh, I'm just going to pop that multivitamin and it's going to cover all my bases. <laughs> well, one of the things I love is when patients say, yeah, I have these gummies and I just kind of want to put my hand on my forehead and just smack. And I say, do you know the substances they use to make those gummies with besides the vitamins? So um, one of the things too, I also tell them, key, key, I want you to key on the word supplement. So it's a supplement, supplementary to your diet. It's not to replace your diet. It's a supplement. So if you're eating at uh, a fast food place, you know, three times a day, every day, you could take all the solvents in the world and it's not going to help you. 100%. Yes. Do you also use um, creatine with some of your patients? Oh. 
sorry, I think I lost you for a second. Yeah, there. so some of my strength patients I use creatine with creatine is probably one of, in my estimation, one of the best uh out there as far as for for increased strength gains. Uh, I use it a lot for powerlifting. It helped me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um when it, you know when it first came out, they're saying, well, you know, you can cause some kidney damage, you can cause kidney stones, you can do it can actually decrease as far as you can make you lose water. But if you're drinking plenty of water and, and use it in a smart way, like if you're on creatine 24 7, 365, that's and you're not doing a heavy training, you probably don't need to use it. Because we, if you eat meat, meat naturally has creatine in it. So steak has a certain amount, salmon has a certain amount, all this other stuff um, has certain amounts in there. So again, you're getting creatine naturally. You're just enhancing the ability to uh, to utilize it. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I really want to um, honor your time, but thank you so much for all the super informative um, things you have shared with us today. And I wonder if you might have um, one or two last uh, takeaways or words of wisdom for just anybody who loves strength training and wants to remain injury free. One thing I've been using a lot in the last several years is I tell even the strength athletes to go outside and go for a walk. Oh, and I like to use the phrase, go for a brisk walk, because the aerobic aspect with that is, is something that will enhance as far as your powerlifting training or your strength training, whatever sport you're in um, with that, because I did not do a lot of that when I was powerlifting. And I, and I'm not saying I wish I had, but, and I don't have any health conditions, but again, it's one of those things that um, it's important for getting, raising your blood, uh, not your blood pressure, but your, probably your pulse rate, your respiration rate, everything else, get a little sweat going. Yeah. Um, second thing is, uh, don't forget to tell your family you love them mm. and that you, you would need them and everything else with that. Uh, third thing is I just want to say thank you very much for the interview. I appreciate doing this. It was great working with you. Oh, thank you so much. And I will share your details in the, in the show notes as well. And once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.